Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, still in a message series entitled simply The Doctrine of the Cross. Doctrine of the Cross. It, it, when it comes to the Christian faith, the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the central story. It is the uh, most uh, important factor of our salvation. The cross is everything to us. And yet, many of us have a very shallow understanding of what actually God did for us at the cross. That's why we've been digging into this doctrine I- itself. In the last few weeks, we've talked about how God reveals himself at the cross. God wanted us to know him, wanted to repair relationship with us. And there's no way for us to get to God on our own, no way for us to know him unless he shows himself to us. So at the cross, God reveals himself to us and reveals himself as a suffering servant. If we stopped right there, if, if, if I ended the series here, honestly, it would be very, very incomplete. We need to turn the corner now and talk about resurrection. The cross and the resurrection are more or less a single event, and you need to understand how those go together because as we turn that corner, we're going to turn another corner today and talk about how the cross and resurrection affect our lives as Christians. So let's go right to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is such good stuff. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is good stuff. Incidentally, our our overflow service, which is in this room with us today, we named the overflow from verse 15. Uh, It won't come out of the New Living Translation, but if you're reading NIV, it'll talk about an overflow of thanksgiving. It's grace and thanksgiving that overflow, and that's where that name comes from. But let's go right to verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to the story of your life. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's what we've been saying. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now listen, this gets good. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. 
we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be an overflow of thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see last forever. <laughs> oh. Now, we started this series talking about the, the, the scandal of the cross. Do you remember it, two weeks is a long, long time ago for some of us? The, the scandal of the cross. The, the idea that, that for Christians, for the Christian faith, the, the primary symbol of what God has done for us, the primary symbol of, of who God is would be an instrument of, of execution, death, and, and torture even. We talked about how in the earliest church, in, in the Roman Empire especially, where they knew what crosses were, were and what they were used for, it would have been unthinkable to hang a cross around your neck or use the cross as a symbol of salvation. It took hundreds of years for the cross to become that kind of symbol. They, they knew what crosses were. They knew what crosses were for. The cross, though, is an important symbol of our faith, and it's always been an important part of, of, our, of our preaching. Still a scandal, though, because it's at the cross where we point to that naked, abandoned, dying, suffering man and say, this is God. And some people still can't exactly wrap their heads around that. But we point to this bleeding, dying, naked, abandoned man, and we say, this is God. That's why Paul talks in Corinthians about the cross being the, the wisdom of God and the power of God. But we said that God tends to hide his power in weakness. That's what we see at the cross. That God, when he wants to display his power, he hides it in weakness. So that is why we point to the bleeding, suffering, helpless man on the cross and say, this is God. It, it confounds the wisdom of the wise, Paul says. He hides power and weakness. Now, take the next step with me. If, if God reveals himself as the God of all power who hides power in weakness, and if we are people of this God, then what's that going to mean for our lives? What does that mean for our lives? The doctrine of the cross is not just something that has to do with the moment when we are saved. The doctrine of the cross defines my life, and it defines your life as well. The story of God who comes down, abandoning his own self and dying on the cross, pushed out of his own creation to the point of the cross. This God who saves us, this God who hides power and weakness, he is the God who now commands my life. So guess what? He's still doing those things. My life doesn't necessarily look like power on display. Just take a look at how Paul describes his own life. He says we have this great treasure, this blazing, burning light of glory, that this, this message of Christ, this message of the cross, that this burning treasure we have hidden 
in a jar of clay, that would be my life. Interesting. We hold this treasure in jars of clay. There was a high school kid, actually, in San Bernardino, California, several years ago, who got a summer job working for the, the Brinks Armored Company. The Brinks Armored Company, they, they have the armored trucks, and they deliver money, go back and forth through the cities to the banks, the Brinks Armored Company. He had a summer job. He wasn't really driving an armored truck or anything like that. His job was rolling coins. He rolled coins. He had a massive machine that actually did that. It w- would roll the coins. And they were serving Vegas, so the casinos were bringing these uh, amazing quantities of, of coins, and his job was to run that machine. I think he said he could do $10,000 worth of quarters in an hour. Uh, amazing. Just amazing. One afternoon, his manager, Larry, came over, and apparently there was something of a crisis. Bank of America in San Bernardino had run out of coin. And they had called the Brinks Armored Company and said they needed something like $25,000 worth of coin right away. Immediately, they needed that much coin. Problem was, there were no trucks. No trucks. No armored trucks. So Larry, the high school kids manager, Larry backed up his 49 Ford pickup truck. A 49 Ford. He backed it up, and they loaded onto this truck $25,000 with the coins. This truck is now sitting pretty low. Understand? And Larry told the kid, come on, go with me. So they drove $25,000 worth, worth of, of, of coins, drove $25,000 through San Bernardino, California, and parked right in the middle of the city, right in front of Bank of America. Larry got out and said, here, you stay with the truck. So the kid steps out, and he's standing there in blue jeans and a T-shirt. He has no gun, no nothing. He's standing by $25,000 worth of cash money. And he stands there thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. The first person who walks by and recognizes what I'm guarding, a high school kid standing by a 49 Ford pickup truck, I'm dead. And the longer he stood there, the longer he realized he wasn't going to be dead. You know why? Because nobody in the world passing a 49 Ford pickup sitting 12 inches from the ground, understand? Nobody looking at that truck would possibly imagine that there was that kind of treasure inside. He was safe. Nobody would look at that jalopy and imagine what was inside. And this is what Paul says. This is kind of the mystery of our lives as Christians. We have this treasure. We have the wisdom and power of God. We have the very light, the very glory of God. We have this treasure, but God who loves to hide power and weakness, God who loves to hide glory and humility, we hold this treasure in a jar of clay. That would be me. That would be you. We're the jars of of clay. Isn't that amazing? Here's the thing. (coughs) You should have clapped longer so I could choke in in silence. (coughs) Back in Paul's day, they don't have safes. They don't have fancy boxes to put treasure, you understand? Nearly anything would be put in, in a jar of clay, in just a clay jar. They would save scrolls. They would save nearly everything. It's all they had. But Paul is simply saying that this everyday object, this jar of of, of clay, dried mud, he said, God puts this amazing treasure, he hides it. He hides it in our lives. 
So people who look at me and you at, at first glance, they're not going to imagine that there's anything extraordinary about us. As a matter of fact, sometimes a Christian's life looks less extraordinary than others. That's the difficult part. Sometimes our life looks less impressive. Sometimes our lives are, are more crushed with humility than other people's lives. We hold this treasure in a jar of clay. Now, why does it work this way? Well, it works this way because this is how God reveals himself to us. When God reveals himself, he reveals himself as a suffering man on a cross. It might be very, very different had God chosen to reveal himself as, I don't don't know, maybe a king or a military hero. It might have been very different if God had chosen to reveal himself as a rock star on the red carpet. Then our lives might look very different But notice what the scripture says. Look at verse 11. This is amazing and troubling. Verse 11. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Necessarily that's not the word he meant to use. Maybe better, we we live under constant danger of death even though we serve. Maybe that that smooths it over a little better, doesn't it? Even though we, no, no, he actually says we live under constant danger of death because, because we serve Jesus. Because we are associated with this man. Because we are associated with this God. Our lives are different. And if you look at it from the outside, you might not assume that our lives are different for the better. Paul says, I I, I suffer under constant danger of death because I'm associated with Jesus. If if the story of your life is rewritten at the cross, then from this point on, you live out this story in your life. Paul says, I I live this out in in my body. In in my body, I continue to share in the death of Jesus in, in my body. Paul is using the most physical, the most concrete terms possible to make you understand that now this is not just a story. This is not just a doctrine out there. I live out the story of Christ in in my body. In other words, every day, this concrete life, I'm living this story out, this story of death, this story of rising from the dead. I'm living this out in in my bones, Paul says, and, and, and so are you. How does it affect us? How exactly are our lives different because of the cross? Well, let's just start with the first basic thing. At the cross, God does an amazing thing. God takes a step toward us, those of us, the whole world, those of us who were enemies of his, those of us who were sinners, those of us who to God would be offensive sinners. God steps toward us. But even beyond that, at the cross, God identifies himself with the lowest of the low. He is crucified between two criminals. Do you understand? He, he lets himself identify with, with, with criminals and, and outcasts. Even in his ministry, he associated with prostitutes and, and tax collectors. If there was a group of low lives, if, if there was a group of people that nobody else wanted to be within 100 yards of, Jesus runs to them. Amazing. He runs to those people. Now, you and I never do this. This is not human nature. We do not run to low lives. We do not run to outcasts. We run from those people. 
I remember once talking to a lady, and, and she was just a real lady. Nothing really weird about her at all. She was just weird enough to tell the truth. And one day she said to me, she said, Tim, I just wish that I had this group of really, really attractive people to hang around. I, I wish I had, this is what she said, I wish I had just a group of really pretty girls and, and we could all be best friends. What do you think about that? It's interesting how we're like that. We like to be associated with, with people that we feel like might make us look better or, or feel better. We really like to be associated with attractive people and, and rich people. My, my friend, it sounds odd, but she just told the truth. Uh, uh, most of us are like that. If somebody comes into your 10 o'clock small group today for Bible study, you'll pay attention to what they look like, and you'll pay attention to certain things, and you'll treat people differently. We just have this tendency to sort of move toward attractive people. We all want attractive friends. I mean, that's probably why Eric DeVries joined this church, so he could associate with guys like Warren Weeks and, and Kelly Milam. I mean, where else? Where else would he find guys so cool? I mean, this is just our tendency. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> We, we just have this tendency to move toward the rich people, to move toward the, the, the ones who seem to have life all together. We just love those people. We just can't get enough of them. We run to those. This is human nature. This is human nature. But it's not God's nature. That's not the heart of God. God runs. God moves toward people who are outside. God runs toward people who are the bottom of the barrel. God runs toward the ugly, the, the poor, the, the sick, the, the lame, the, the high maintenance. God runs toward the, the addicted. God runs toward the messed up. God runs toward those who are sexually messed up. God moves toward those who are financially messed up. God moves toward the broken. God moves toward the lame, the, the blind, the crippled. God moves toward the ones that you and I run from. We run from those people. We don't want anything to do with that because if we go towards someone who's broken, other people might think we're broken. If we associate ourselves with people who are messed up, what if they mess us up? I mean, that's our fear. We just run away from those who are outside and cast out indifferent. We don't move toward those people, but God does. So step one, if you're going to live the life after the cross, if you say that this God who sacrificed himself on the cross between two criminals, if you say that your life has been changed and redeemed by this God, then you're going to begin to behave like this God. A little bit more of Christ's nature is going to begin to take over your nature. You'll no longer have this preference for the right kind of people. You'll no longer put yourself in this situation where you run away from those who need help. You don't run away from those who are ugly and poor and messed up. If you've got Christ in you, you're going to run to those people. Not away from, you run to those people. God help us. And God make us a church with doors wide open to all the bottom of the barrel kind of people. You know why we have to open the doors to the bottom of the barrel kind of people? I've said it before. You know why God has this preference for bottom of the barrel kind of people? Because that's the only kind of people there are. That's the only, look down your pew. 
That's the only kind of people there are. And whatever it is about yourself that, that makes you feel puffed up, that makes you feel better or more attractive or somehow more desirable, you don't see yourself like God sees you. You may not see yourself like we see you, as a matter of fact. It's just one kind of person, bottom of the barrel kind of people. And the sooner you and I get that through our thick skulls, the sooner we recognize that this is God's impulse. This is the very revelation of God that we see in the cross. God moves, moves toward those that are far away to bring them close. He moves toward those who are outside to bring them inside. He moves toward the broken so that he can put the pieces back together. He moves toward the, the lame, the crippled, so that he can set them up on strong legs. He goes toward the messed up so he can clean them up. This is what God does. This is what the cross says. That's good. But... It, I'm not just talking about other people here, though, right? What about us? I don't know if you like reading these kind of verses or, or you don't. Jump with me to verse 8. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but not destroyed. I don't know what you expected when you came to Christ. I don't know what you expected when you said that you would take up your cross and follow Jesus, but whatever you expected, this is what you're going to get. If, if somebody ever somehow told you or gave you the impression that you come to Christ and your life gets easier, you were misinformed painfully misinformed and you were set up for immense disappointment there's nothing in scripture that should suggest to you that coming to Christ makes your life all better Paul actually in this particular passage goes over four kinds of trouble four kinds I don't like any single kind but Paul gives us four we're pressed on every side by troubles. We're, we're, we're pressed down, he says. Uh, th th this kind of trouble that he's talking about here is just the everyday kind of, 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 of pressing down. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's just the, the weight of troubles added on top of troubles. If, if troubles would come at us one at a time, you know, just kind of throw me one when I'm expecting it, I, I could deal with it. But that's never the way it works. I, I get pressed down. Maybe some of the troubles are small, but, but you start adding up the, the weight of all of these troubles, and, and, and they have an incredible, incredible burdening effect on, on my life. You, you've heard me say before that when the enemy wants to attack us, when the devil comes after you, he never sends a shark to devour you in one bite. You know what I mean? He'll never send a shark to devour you in one bite. Instead, he will, he, instead he will send a thousand minnows. His strategy is just to overwhelm you, to, 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 to make you feel so overwhelmed by problems, by attack, that you just never even engage the fight. And, and Paul says in his own life, he, he's experienced this, this, this pressing down. I, I'm pressed down. 
And this is Paul speaking, and we're talking about the life of those who follow Jesus. And, and this is just the fact of the matter. You're going to be pressed down sometimes, but not crushed. Notice in these kind of trouble that Paul describes, there's always this, this incredible turn. And, and this is the first one, I'm pressed down, but, but not crushed. You ever seen guys drink uh, beverages out of cans? You know what I mean? And, and, and let's just say it's, it's a yoo-hoo. <laughs> They're drinking a can of yoo-hoo, and they finish it. And then, and then what do they do? They take it, and they crush it against their head. You ever seen those guys? Crazy yoo-hoo drinking guys, you know? Drink it down, go, 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 and boom, just crush it against their head. Yeah, you notice that? Notice there's an order. They'll always drink first, go, 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 and then crush can against skull. Okay? Why don't they crush the can first? Full can of yoo-hoo. Why don't they take the full can of whoo against their head? Why don't they do why do they always empty the can first? Because you can't crush something full. My life as a Christian, I am I am pressed down, but I am never crushed. You know why? Because there's something inside. Something inside. I, I'm not empty. I ain't much to look at, but I'm not empty. What you don't understand is, is that there is this treasure inside me. It is Christ. It is his power. It is his wisdom. It is his light. It, it is the message of the gospel. I, I am full. I have a treasure inside. And if you have that treasure inside you, you're going to be pressed down every single day. It, it will be absolutely stunning what you may have to go through. And God help you. I wish you never had to go through it. And I'm telling you, you'll go through some stuff. You'll be pressed down, but you will not be crushed. You will never, ever be crushed. Pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. But perplexed. It's second kind of trouble here. Perplexed. Perplexed is just kind of a, a, a mental thing. And obviously some of you have mental things. It's just this mental thing where there are questions I just can't answer. Even in the Christian life, because of Jesus, it's going to be hard to make sense sometimes of what happens to me and what happens to you. Sitting right here in this house or listening to my voice, wherever you are, some of you are just dogged by um, questions. And sometimes you're almost afraid to say them out loud because you just don't even know what people would think if they knew what you have to ask. You have to ask yourself every day, why did my daddy have to die? Or, or why did my daddy leave? Or you have to ask yourself, why did I have to bury my child? Why did I, why did I have to bury her? And there just aren't any answers forthcoming. Why do I struggle so? Why am I so afflicted? Why must I struggle with these addictions? Why is my life as it is? Why do these things happen? Why? It's incredible, perplexing trouble. And Paul says in his own life, man, he's been perplexed sometimes. I mean, just perplexed. I mean, if you continue to dwell on certain questions, they will absolutely drive you to despair. What's that mean? Despair, it means to have no hope. And this is what Paul says, I am perplexed. I am perplexed, but never driven to despair. 
There are things I don't know the answer to, but they never, ever somehow overwhelm my ability to keep hoping in a God who's going to do something good. I'm perplexed, perplexed, but, but never despairing. Hunted down, persecuted, never abandoned by God. Hunted down, persecuted. You and I forget that in, in many, many places in the world, it, it is absolutely, absolutely illegal to, to, to call yourself a Christian. In certain countries, your baptismal certificate is your death certificate. Paul knew about persecution. These early Christians in Corinth were beginning to know something about persecution. You and I don't know a whole lot about that. God protects us. God blesses us. I don't know, but the day may come. The point is, even when we're hunted down, even when we're persecuted, we're never, ever abandoned. If I were take an ordinary paper cup, say one of those little cheap Dixie cups, you know what I'm talking about, or one of those paper cones, a paper cup, and if I were to hold that over an open flame, what would happen? Paper cup over fire, what's going to happen? It's going to burn. It's going to burn. But here we go, fun with science. Did you know that if you take a paper cup and fill it with water and hold it over an open flame, guess what? You can boil the water. Cup won't burn. Explain that. We all know paper burns. You can't hold paper over open fire. Well, yes, you can, it turns out. You fill a paper cup with water, hold it over open flame. That cup won't burn. Why not? Any science geeks in a room? Why not? Well, the inside of the cup is wet, but the outside's not wet. But the outside won't burn. What do you think? Well, scientifically, the boiling point of water is? Awesome. 212 degrees, absolutely. And the flash point, the, 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 the kindling point of paper is Fahrenheit? 451. Yeah, understand? So the qualities of what is inside disperse the heat on the outside. Paul says we hold this treasure in jars of clay so that people will never confuse the fact that this incredible power on display in our lives, it's coming from inside. It has nothing to do with the outside. It, it, it is from God and not from us. We are hunted down, persecuted, never, ever abandoned. We get knocked down, but not destroyed. Okay, why? Why? Why pressed down but never crushed? Why perplexed but never despairing? Why persecuted but never abandoned? Why? Why knocked down but never destroyed? Why? Verse 10. Through suffering. Through suffering. Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. You get that? He didn't come as a rock star on the red carpet. He came as a suffering man on a cross. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So that, 
so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. We continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God spoke. So, so we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and the, present us to himself together with, with you. All of this is for your benefit. You understand? It's not just the cross. It doesn't end at the cross. He didn't just reveal himself as, as a hopeless, condemned man on the cross who dies bleeding and naked and then is buried, and that's the end. It's not the end. That's the point. The doctrine of the cross does not end at the cross. The doctrine of the cross goes right through the cross and then into the tomb and then out the other side. You understand? There's another side to it. There's death, but there's resurrection. Jesus died, but he also was buried, and he was raised. And the same God, the same God who brought life out of death with Jesus is going to bring life out of death with you. The same God, the same God who makes this way out of no way, he's going to make a way out of no way for you. It's not just a story of death. It's not just a story of a cross. It's a story of an empty tomb. And I bear in my body, I live out this story of death every single day. But it's also a story of resurrection. It is a story of, of death and defeat and humility and sacrifice and surrender. But it's also a story of ultimate triumph, ultimate victory, incredible glory. Do you understand? It's cross and resurrection. It's death and life. And you're going to live that story out in your bones, with your body, in this life, your everyday life. It's going to tell this story over and over and over. That's why we never lose heart. Verse 16, it's why we never give up. Though our bodies, the outside part, bodies are dying. Our spirits, the inside part, are being brought to life every day. Hear this. For our present troubles are small. If I could yield the floor to some of you right now, you would probably have a rebuttal. I just look across this room. I, I, I know what some of you are going through. And I can't imagine looking you in the face and saying it's small. I can't imagine knowing what you're going through. I can't imagine looking you in the face and saying it's small. Because it doesn't seem small to you. And I can't imagine seeing it won't last long. Because when you're in it, it seems like a hell that never ends. And that's why we lose heart. That's why you and I give up. Because we feel pressed down and there's only so far you can press us down and whether or not we cross the line into crest, I feel crushed. 
present troubles are small and won't last very long. How long has it got to last? Because it feels too long. How big has it got to be? Because it feels overwhelmingly big. start again. This is why we never lose heart. We never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being brought to life every day. For our present troubles are small, won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last, <laughs> will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. Did you get that? You have to get that. It's, it's the doctrine of the cross. That there is a Friday... When the sky goes dark and everything you know and everything you love is buried in the ground, there, there is Friday, but Sunday's coming. You understand? In our lives, there's always Sunday coming. In other words, no matter who we bury or what we bury or what we lose or how we suffer, it, it doesn't last forever. It's Friday, the old preacher said, but Sunday's coming. And what is on the other side of this trouble for us? It seems big, but it's not as big as, it's not as big as everything. And this is what Paul says. It depends on what you focus on. Did y'all see that amazing moon last night? They called it a super moon. I didn't know we were having one of those until I looked out and think, oh my goodness, what is with the moon tonight? It was amazing. It was as big around as a dinner plate. It was huge and bright in the sky. We, we turned out the lights and went to bed, and it's like the lights were still on. Isn't it amazing? Uh, moon's pretty big. It's pretty big up there. I mean, it's, it's gigantic. I don't know how big it is, but it's big. Um, if I took out a dime in my pocket, I don't have one. Uh, a dime is pretty small, right? I, I mean, you, know, you could lose a dime on the moon. The, the, the dime is very small. But, but it would be very possible for me to block out that whole super moon last night with a, with a dime. You know how I could do it? Just hold it. If I can put the dime close enough to my eye, hold it right in front of that super moon, I can block the whole thing out. You see, this is what you and I do with our troubles. We make them bigger by focusing on them. We continue to hold them right here before our eyes, and, and, and we block out everything else. And, and Paul says, you've just got to stop doing that. Because what you're blocking out is, is this eternal weight of glory. We talked about being pressed down, this weight of trouble over our heads. But this is what Paul is saying, the, the, the weight of glory. In other words, the, the tremendous, tremendous reward that waits for us on the other side is overwhelming. You, you think your troubles are big? You haven't seen yet what God has in store for you. Do you understand? What God has for you on the other side of this is going to swallow up and overwhelm all of the pain all of the sorrow, all of the suffering on, on this side. Your present troubles are small, 
that they are small, when you compare them to everything that God has for you on the other side of this, and the cross reminds us that there is always another side to suffering. There's always an answer. God always answers death. He always answers suffering, and his answer is always overwhelming life, resurrection, life from out of death. That's why we never lose heart, Paul says. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Pray with me. Oh God, some of us are stuck on Friday. We haven't chosen it. We don't want to be here, but God, we are stuck on Friday. We are stuck at the cross where everything seems to be dying and passing away and the sky grows dark and the sun won't shine and we feel like we have no hope. We can't see anything past Friday. But Lord Jesus, help us, remind us that the revelation of your power did not end at the cross, Lord. The revelation of your power begins at the cross. And the revelation of your power in our lives does not begin somehow or end when we have troubles, Lord. It begins when we have trouble. And you begin to show us how you will bring life even out of the death of our lives. Oh, God, you are the one who hides power and weakness. So teach us, Lord, teach us simply to trust that in our weakness, you will always be strong. And in our despair, you will always shine hope. God, there are people in the sound of my voice this morning, dangerously close to losing heart, dangerously close to giving up. Oh God, I pray that you would help them not to fix their eyes on these present troubles that seem so large, but they're not. They're small. And it seems like it's going to last forever, but it never lasts forever, Lord. It won't last much longer. So, Lord, teach us, help us never to give up, never to lose heart. Teach us, Lord. The troubles of this life just don't last that long, but what you have waiting for us on the other side, it's going to last forever, and it's going to be glorious. For now, Lord Jesus, let that glory just shine in our hearts, in our lives of weakness, trouble, struggle. Lord, I pray that though we may suffer, though we may find ourselves in trouble after trouble, problem after problem, Lord Jesus, I pray that somehow in the midst of our lives, your glory will still shine. Just let your glory shine. And in the end, everything will be glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, crucified, buried, and risen to life.
Amen.